Good. So um, we'll have the first people joining up in. This is episode 12 of Southeast Asia Connect. We have fantastic guests today. Before we start with the topic, a reminder for everybody, please put your questions in the Q&A section, not the chat section, and post your questions early because traditionally we run out of time to question uh, to answer all your questions and that's what it's all about it's about your questions we're really grateful for everybody tuning in and we want to make sure that you get the most out of it as we're exploring the southeast asia startup ecosystem the money the dreams the makers the shakers and one of them is with me as always chris how are you doing today excellent well you know congratulations welcome to the last episode 12. Of the year, of the year. Of the year. <laughs> <laughs> 12 months, 12 episodes. So it's kind of a Christmas uh, episode. When are, we, when are we singing last last Christmas? Later, yeah? Uh, later, later. <laughs> we, 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 yeah. Won't, we, we won't victimize our audience with last Christmas right now. <laughs> uh, otherwise, it's last Christmas. Okay, good. In, uh, in that context, um, we have uh, fantastic guests. Chris will introduce them in a second. This is the webinar and podcast series for founders and investors in Southeast Asia. We are connecting Southeast Asian uh, startups and the ecosystem to the world. And this uh, series is brought to you by Northridge Partners and Precious Communications. Together, we've worked with hundreds of startups and investors, VCs, PEs and any other combination of two letters you can think of. Um, and the uh, funding and investment amounts uh, piling up to the tens of billions. But let's not talk about big numbers. Let's talk about what it really needs to get startups off the ground. Uh, my name is Lars Fudisch. I'm the founder of Precious Communications, economist by training, storyteller by passion. And uh, today it's all about uh, being a villager. So <laughs> kick it off. What are we talking about today, Chris? And my name is Chris Tran. I'm the head of Northridge Partners for Asia, where we work with Southeast Asia's founders to raise capital, grow their businesses and exit. And for our last episode for the year, the real genesis of this topic came from a couple of conversations we were having um, two participants in the ecosystem around, yes, what a difficult time it was, but also what was important and what were some of the things that we should celebrate out of this year. And hence to end this year on, it really does take a village to build a startup. When we look at the last five years in Southeast Asia, we've really witnessed a growing, just like the rest of the world, relevance of startup initiatives and a greater interconnectivity. You had Station F, arguably the world's largest startup campus and certainly the most expensive, get launched in Paris, Europe, France, Europe. You have here Sequoia and of course Antler as well. In China, you have China Accelerator work with more than 140 startups together with that global renowned venture fund, SOSV. In fact, when we looked at the statistics compared to a decade ago in 2011, there is now around 10,000 such startup initiatives globally, up from only 200 in 2011. And in this webinar, we're simply very lucky to have Janice Tan, who manages Google's Accelerator program in Southeast Asia, welcome, 
and Kaziah Quek from Capgemini Applied Innovation Exchange. And today we'll be having a conversation around bridging startups to the B2B enterprises. How can startups actually win pilots with corporates? Working with local players in enabling digital transformation and most importantly, celebrating actual ecosystem success stories. And last, today's poll, which I don't think is particularly controversial. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, let's just, let's just have a go at it, right? So the poll today is, does it really need a, a village, uh, does it take a village to build a startup in Southeast Asia? And, you know, normally we're always surprised by, by the outcomes. Um, obviously, uh, with, with putting this as a topic, we had a little bit of an idea what we think it should be the outcome, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's less than 100%. What, what do you expect, Chris, will be the outcome? Uh, someone's just going to be rebellious and say no for the fun of it, right? So it'll be over 90, but not 100. Okay, and just also for the fun of it, and it's the Christmas year end episode, this is the poll uh, song today. No, no, Okay, good. So let's look at the results. What does uh, the audience think? 78%, thanks for the rebellious ones out there. 78%, 80% say, yes, it needs a village. Uh, and, and no, 20% say, uh, would be interesting what they think it needs instead. Um, yeah. We'll look into that, Chris. So um, you want to kick the, the panel off? Yeah, absolutely. And please, um, you know, what we do want is a conversation. So please ask us the hard questions and I will immediately palm that responsibly over to our wonderful guests. So Janice, and um, for those of few people who've been living under a rock and don't actually know you, um, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you ended up at Google Accelerator, please? Hello. Um, well, I guess how I landed up here is because um, ecosystem became a thing. So I think we, we all know this is probably a very, um, a new term that came up in the recent years. I remember when I first started joining the um, startup ecosystem, I spoke to this guy who came up to me to ask me, what exactly do you do? And when I told him, oh, you know, I manage the startup ecosystem here at Unilever, working with lots of corporates and startup, um, he asked me like, did you even know what ecosystem mean? You know, you, you're, you're completely misusing the words. And then I look at his business card and realize that, you know, he was a professor in like environmental stuff and the like, ecosystem to him was something that was very abstract. So I did a lot of research around what ecosystem means to make sure that I hold my ground the next time. And it really is this, you know, a community of interlinked um, life um, partners coming together to build something together. And I guess that is what I do. And I have been, you know, from partnerships in a very traditional sense in Australian Chamber of Commerce to going to um, a level three, which is like Unilever's um, corporate innovation hub, managing that and building that ecosystem with VCs, talking to government, with startups, to um, of course, different corporates who also want to come and collaborate. Um, and that's where I met Chris. and. Um, um, eventually I move on Thomson Reuters, so from a little bit more ecosystem in a broader sense of the word, 
going into financial um, industry. And then from Thomson Reuters, I landed up at Google back to this whole big ecosystem building. So um, yeah, so that's kind of my journey from partnerships into ecosystem building. I stumbled into tech and it's a really exciting place to be in. And thank you so much for having me today. Uh, we're just delighted to have you, Janice. And Google Accelerator, can you let uh, people know what does Google Accelerator aim to uh, achieve and, and you know, what was the real motivations behind setting up Google Accelerator in Singapore uh, only just a short time ago? Yeah, this is our inaugural one. Well, you know, I mean, we all know, I think we're all in this space. So we know how hard it is to be a founder. And I think in this year, it's even harder in the you know the pandemic situation that we're in. So we know that startups have big goals, lofty dreams that they want to improve the challenges of the communities that they are a part of. So we want to help them, we want to help them and make it easier. So Southeast Asia, um, this one that we just ran, this is one of our 14 accelerators that we ran around the world this year. And Southeast Asia, this is our inaugural um, pilot here. And when we started, we were wondering, you know, what should we, what should accelerator be about? You know, um, what is the pain point? What is the gap in the industry? And we wanted the accelerator to address critical challenges that startups in this region are facing. So actually, it's through a lot of research that we decided, like, which stage of the startup was having the most challenges, um, which are the verticals that um, were struggling with the most. And to be honest, I think I am very lucky to be a part of the team where we're 100% dedicated to startup founders. So our team wake up every day and we, we, we think about how do we help startup founders um, build better businesses. And for us, we're also wondering who are the ones who need them help the most during this period. So um, through our research, we know that, you know, I, I think a lot of us in this room are probably also familiar with the industries that are um, thriving during this period. You know, they're in um, healthcare, in education, logistics, e-commerce, and a lot of these startups are probably in an unfamiliar place. They're trying to grow, scale, get funding in a very challenging time. And they're having challenges getting funding and, you know, navigating maybe their ML model doesn't work anymore because this kind of like just completely throw um, off the usual trends and data that they have. And we were there to help them. So um, I guess what we're trying to achieve is to help startups build better businesses with the network that we have, the people that we have, and the technology that we have. And Chris, thank you so much again, you know, for being one of our mentors. Uh, I think our mentors is the highlight, you know, of this accelerator program. And I have to credit you and that our startups who just graduated last week, you know, that they can go further and achieve what they are trying to do because they're standing on the shoulders of giants like you, Chris. <laughs> and they're standing on those giants of people like you that um, are putting it all together. So, you know, thank you for allowing us to be uh, involved in the part of the process. Um, I want to get tangible so that, you know, people can, you know, understand, you know, what are the real challenges, but also um, what is the real progress here. And there's obviously a backstory around okay, what does ecosystem really mean? What do some of these fancy words mean? And is it all just, you know, a marketing exercise, which I think will be a theme that comes out from today's conversation. Um, but in the prep, one of the things that impressed me most was not only the caliber of people that got involved, uh, but some of the tangible results that really came out of it. And uh, maybe if you can share, you know, whether it be connections and um, the result of your last graduation, just a, a few sort of, um, or one or two um, uh, tangible 
points of reference in terms of what was achieved on your first year? Okay, so um, so we just wrapped up the three months cohort and there are 15 startups that came out of it. But there are a couple of inspiring startups who participated in our accelerator and maybe um, tangible success story. Let me start with your favorite. Oh dear, did I just say that? <laughs> but I know- One you, of my favorites. One of your favorites, oops. So, you know, in Indonesia, so our startups come from seven different countries and one of your favorites, you know, in Indonesia, we have Hacktivate, your education online platform, and they got funding from, you know, our own mentors. They have, um, through their strategies and the um, advisory of our mentors, incorporated many of these suggestions and 5x their sales conversion. So they were showing us the trajectory of, you know, how they were doing throughout the year, you know, pivoting. And then all of a sudden it was like 5x throughout the course of the accelerator in three months. So that was super fast. And um, so that's one. Um, another one, say in Vietnam, we've got BiMed. They run this um, pharmaceutical platform um, called Tuxi. And with the support of our Google Cloud team, they migrated to GCP, optimized their cars and built a more scalable infrastructure for their fast growing startup. So, you know, there's, you know, there's funding, there is sales, there is, you know, technology. And um, one, of the, one that is closest to my heart, I guess, is we have this startup called DevTop. And, um, you know, it, it's so inspiring. I was sitting into a couple of their sessions and each time the mentor came out telling the startup founder that I'm so inspired by what you do. And this startup in Pakistan, and they actually um, headquartered here in Singapore as well, but they have a large team in Pakistan. They're working on, um, with our team uh, on AI machine learning, integrating it into their language translation to supporting the deaf community. So really amazing startup and their prototype is now ready and we're super excited to see what they're going to do with it. And so these are just a few of the startups that are, you know, have um, built something in the last three months together with us and from the demo day that just happened last week there have been over over a hundred connections that we've made um, individually between the VCs who um, and investors who want to meet the startups so we're crossing our fingers because we know about three quarters of our startups are trying to fundraise so hopefully with some of these um, 100 introductions something amount to it. So you know Janice let's just make it crystal clear for the audience and no ambiguity here what we've done, for example, is actually get startups funded. So that's money invested, right? What we've done is actually uh, five times increased conversions. So we're talking about revenue, right? And then we've developed product. Yeah? Yes. So, so you know, um, very, very, very tangible results. And what do you think of maybe some of the, you know, misconceptions out there? There are obviously now, and I think it's just wonderful for the ecosystem and we can't get enough of different type of programs that startups can be a part of. But when it comes to Google Accelerator, what are some of maybe the things that people don't understand enough of? So for example, what you do is very much a part of Google, which is around building the ecosystem specifically. What is it not tied to? And what do you have in terms of the direction that Google gives you in terms of, you know, this is a successful result, right? Because that will help in terms of what startups know what they can and can't get out of the program. Well, um, that's, I know, you know, people don't believe us when we say it, but we genuinely created a program and have a team that sits 
kind of in silo and our objective is not to make more money from you. Our objective is simply to help startups build better product. And when we're looking at which are the startups to bring on board, we are thinking about what is the gap in the market. So, you know, in the US, they've run like Black Founders Accelerator. Um, we've had like Women Founders Accelerator in some regions as well. In our region, we decided to focus on um, COVID hit industries um, that, are, that, are, that are struggling. So, um, I guess in terms of misconception that, you know, I want to correct where people ask like, oh, you know, so do you want them to, you know, use Google products? You know, our startups actually use all various products. They don't mm. have to use Google products to join us. And um, for us, we, the, the program is not, I mean, you're part of the program as well. It's not focused just around technology. It was a lot about business and um, growth marketing, product development. In fact, we spent a lot of time on leadership culture and team building as mm. well. So a lot of our startups actually came out talking about, you know, implementing OKR system, um, building a whole remote working culture, and how to become better leaders themselves. For many of the founders, it was the first time that they assessed their own leadership um, because we did even like a survey where their team assessed them and then we created a report for the founders to actually see what their blind spots are and how can they do better as leaders as well. So a lot of it was also around people. So this accelerator program, I guess the misconception one of things is that, you know, that we're trying to sell them something. No, we're really here to do good. I know it's sounds you know too good to be true but it really is what we do and um, I love that being able to say that we're here for the ecosystem and helping startups build better products. Fantastic so Lars on to Keziah. Before I go over to Keziah just one second because obviously Chris and Janice you look like you're on one team already so I think I have to ask some tough questions. <laughs> it sounds a little bit and I don't want to discredit anything that you said it sounds like um, a lot of your days are a little bit feels make you feel like um, make a wish foundation, right? But, but, but let's maybe maybe have, have one really look into how much do you actually have to and, and with the village concept, you know, sometimes it's like, um, how much do you have to give your startups that concept of tough love, so that they really not, you know, just also oh 5x and funding here and they all just go off. Uh, with like balloons, how, how often actually do you have to pull them back? I was like, hey guys, uh, hold your horses. Uh, so how often do you also have to do the, the bad messenger, the, the devil's advocate kind of type? Oh, that's, that's a very, very good question because we do that a lot through the course of the accelerator because we know some um, startups join accelerator programs or join different programs in the ecosystem for many various different reasons. But if we were to be really honest about it and if this audience, a lot of you are startup founders, well, most of them are there for business development. So they come in like, you know, mentoring is like business development in disguise, funding requests in disguise and so on. And <laughs> I guess, I mean, we all know, right? That's the, that's the truth. But so when they come in with, uh, this is, you know, whatever, I mean, we interview them before they join to make sure that their motives and objectives are aligned with what we're building. But, you know, sometimes people still come in through the cracks. And then we, we talk about people, about teams, about setting the right goals, about, you know, building products that are good for the people, you know, and instead of I'm trying to shove your product down the throat of your consumers, uh, how can I make money out of them? Is that you understand what they truly need. So um, we have, when, when we started the accelerator program, one of the first thing we did um, was we ran this thing called validation meeting. And we had panels of our mentors actually sit and listen to what our startups are trying to solve for and build and what are the goals that they're trying to achieve in the next three months. And then um, just kind of 
poke holes at everything and tell them what to do. And to be honest, a lot of our startups came in with like, we want to expand to this area, in this country, in this um, region or to other regions. And at the end of this validation meeting, um, a week of it, they came back and were like, what's your biggest takeaway? And they're all like, focus, focus. We've been told to focus, be the best in our market, pulling back, you know, how to get best at what we're doing, focus on our product and making it better rather than developing more. So um, there's definitely been occasions that we they've had to, be put back multiple times or told to focus on a certain area. There was this topic that came out that was a little bit unexpected for us because we built the entire program around our startup's needs. So when we start the program in June, we didn't actually, uh, sorry, in August, June is when we started selection. But when we started in August with our cohort, we don't actually know the content that we're delivering to them. So um, they were like, oh, what, is, what are we going to do on that week? Or what are we going to learn? What is the content going to be like? Like, I don't know. depends on what your problem is. And we build it as we go along. And some of the topics that came out really strong was co-founder relationships, leadership and culture, building products, um, making a product better rather than business development and growth marketing, like making better products. So Good. Thank you. Learning, learning as you go. And even as a Google, you have to adjust and customize on the fly. I think that's oh, a great yes. We review, I'm not kidding you, over 500 feedback forms. Every single one we read and see what they needed, what they wanted, and then consolidated to create large teams um, sessions that solves most of our startups problem and then one-on-one -on -one for smaller needs. Yeah. Okay. So let's look at uh, Kazaya. Thanks for, 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 for waiting patiently there. Um, uh, welcome and, and, and great to, to have you on today's webinar. Um, so let, maybe let's start with, with, with you uh, first. You know, if I'm not mistaken, your journey started more in the marketing field. How did you get into startups and now big, big uh, corporate, right? I mean, Kept Gemini over, I think, 250, 270,000 employees, 50 countries. It's very non-startup. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Chris and Lars, for having me. And, you know, Janice, I just learned so much from you in the last 10, 15 minutes. So amazing masterclass. I feel like I'm learning. Um, yeah, so personal story. Uh, you'll be interested to hear. So when I started as a marketer, I was actually helping to drive... Um, connections between CTOs and CXOs in digital transformation. And, and my role was almost a little bit off, you know, how do you create community between digital transformation experts, as well as perhaps some of the startup community. So you could say that my marketing role was actually kind of a, a community building role. Um, and, and that led me to really understanding, I think, a lot of the players in the ecosystem, um, but also a little bit of that corporate angle, right? How do startups in, uh, work with corporates? Um, and then I think something pivotal that, that made sense for me was that a four-month stint that I did at the Ethereum Foundation, um, I joined the operations team in order to enable these brilliant computer scientists who are trying to build um, the, the, the base levels, the, the really the mechanics of a future decentralized version of our internet, right? And, and I saw this amazing technology and I said, you know, I'm going to do anything I can. I'm going to put all my energy behind these brilliant people and help them to succeed. Um, but I think one of the biggest conversations in Ethereum was really, um, or, or sometimes the lack thereof, right? Which is adoption. We have this brilliant technology. Um, we're comparing it to the adoption of the internet and how many years that took. And we're saying, where are the consumer 
applications where the corporate applications and and the ethereum community is still working towards that in many ways and they're building some amazing things um but then i realized you know i had a passion for adoption and, and i thought where is the adoption going and and you can see that i think a lot of times applications for the internet what what drove it war right um unfortunately but in today's world when you're seeing new technology being built and and the money that's driving the development of that technology i think a lot of it comes from use cases um and so with my background in b2b um corporate innovation as well as the startup world it just made sense to join capgemini and i, I was very very impressed by capgemini's global network um, I think a lot of times people go like, oh, corporate boo, you know, um, and I used to be that person. Um, but I think in, in a very humbled way, I've grown to appreciate just the reach of um, and the network, um, the applied innovation exchange that I work at. We're part of a network of 18 innovation labs around the world. We have access to the corporate work that we do as our core business. Um, so we have all these problem statements, business challenges, intimate understanding of what our clients need, right? Not just in terms of everyday core, you know, CRM, um, things that basically run a company, but also then you, you start to get the opportunities to say, okay, well, there's an opportunity to work with a startup, build a proof of concept, try out a pilot. Um, and, and because we are so many across so many different countries, we have insight into different contexts. Um, then we can also see the emergent trends um, of innovation needs across the globe. And, and also we have access to literally the best startups in every country, which is amazing. We have this common database where you just type in the, the use case and then you'll see like maybe five, 10 startups that we've already worked with with clients across the globe. Um, having a direct line into Silicon Valley startups is also something like truly phenomenal. So I'm a fan, you can probably tell. Um, thank you. Um, so, so what would make a right startup to get into that database of yours, right? What do they have in common? Of course, innovation, uh, great technology, uh, use cases, uh, but what stage, what, what do they have as a criterion that they need to fulfill to be kept you know, get the, 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 the seal of approval from, from your organization? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. And that's something that we talk to many startups about. Um, very often they're series A and beyond. Um, there, there are some basic things we look at, like, you know, how much money have they raised? It's not the be all and end all. Um, have they already run proof of concepts? Have they done some work with corporates? Is there some layer, some level of proof that what they've built is irrelevant to corporate business cases? Right. And, and lastly, we look a little bit at um, actually not lastly, we look at we make sure they have a full time management team. So it's not somebody who's doing it as a side hustle, um, just because we need to make sure these startups exist a year from now. We're going to bring them to our corporate clients. And, and lastly, a good indication is also some level of revenue. Um, so we want to know that, you know, financially they, they're sound, they've, they've done some projects. And, and these are not hard and fast rules. We evaluate them, I think, further on many other areas we, we get them interviews with our internal experts to see that the technology holds up it's actually innovative um, and, and we understand how they fit in with our clients business challenges so that sounds a little bit like good old village matchmaking um, so, so, how, so how do you then make sure that you know that 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 is the right match because every corporate is different, every startup is, is different. So you might have your criteria, this technology, yes, yes. But you know, 
Um, there's a cultural fit, there's risk appetite, there's a maturity level. How do you make sure that beyond, you know, the paper qualifications, there's a spark that can last? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, Lars, that's a really hard thing to do. Um, and I would say, you know, from, from what we've achieved, it's very often almost like alchemy, right? You're looking for the right person in a corporate who has the right KPIs, um, who, who truly believes in, understands innovation, <laughs> wants to drive it. Chris, you're laughing because I feel like you understand this very well. You've seen it too much. Um, right person, right? Uh, right KPIs, right place, right time. So very often you, you can, I mean, you probably know in corporate, sometimes there comes an opportunity or, or somebody comes and says, hey, I've got this innovation budget that I need to spend um, before the year ends and, and I want to spend it on something significant. Or, you know, there's so many different personalities. It says, um, I believe in this, it's my KPI to drive innovation. You know, that's going to get me promoted to CXO. Um, and, and so these are, and I think this is also coming from my experience at, at Ming Labs. And, and I think it's really about identifying the right time to bring in the right startup. And what we do to achieve this is we have these series of uh, design thinking workshops that we run for our clients. Um, and we really start by defining the problem really well. You know, that's half the battle one, right? Um, making sure, and this is um, part of a, some tips coming from a workshop that we run for startups as well, uh, for, for for startups that are looking to come into Singapore from other countries with our partners. And we tell them that, you know, um, identifying the right business problem, how your technology solves for it. And obviously, you know, we've got the right stakeholders already up on that layer. And then we're, we need to define the period for their proof of concept. Usually we're looking at a period of three months. Anything beyond that, you're kind of lost and spiraling. Um, you need to have the same stakeholders stay in the same room. It's, if it's a revolving door and they leave the company, then you got to start from scratch, literally all over again. So I would say keep it tight, keep it focused, right opportunity. And I, I would say that the, the client themselves has to be an active partner in the innovation process. Um, we, we, we generally like to have the team working very closely with us, full transparency. Um, and them having some skin in the game, it's really important that our corporates invest in the innovation process. Um, and usually with some of these factors in place, and there's still so much else that could go wrong, um, but I would say that alignment. And, I, and for startups, I think it's difficult to navigate large organizations if they're B2B startups. How, how would you find the right person, the right place, the right time, understand the client's business challenge and navigate that relationship? And I think that's the role that we play in, in this busy village, um, which is not just matchmaking, but facilitating um, and bringing in the experience and insight from, from other, other um, drives that are pushing innovation in the corporate world. Thank you. And uh, just a reminder to our audience to please put their questions in the Q&A section. They're already coming in. Maybe one last question uh, to Kazaya before we move over to the next segment. Um, I, I hear often that startups have great technology. It's super innovative. They're all passionate about it. But what they completely miss and lack, and that's why I see where, where you're coming from to some extent, is understanding on how big large corporations actually work and that they can't take that much risk for example you might be a bank you need a better aml know your customer kind of process startup has a fantastic process but how does it fit into their data privacy into their procurement segment how do they make sure that okay we roll it out in 20 branches just today are you around tomorrow 
do we get the same kind of enterprise grade kind of level of support? Um, is that a kind of a knockout criteria? Hey, guys, you're off the list. Or is it your job also a little bit to kind of, hey, you could be there and we help you with that kind of enterprise to understand the other, other family? Yeah, um, Lars, very, very incisive. Um, excellent question. I think you're, you're talking a little bit along the lines of, you know, how, how are corporates, do they want to be truly disruptive or are they looking for that, that slightly, you know, moving needle a little bit at a time? And uh, from our research, we, we definitely do know that um, corporates say that, you know, we, we want to fail fast, we, we need innovation. But there is still an expectation that these um, there are real business outcomes and there is some certainty and that these innovations can be sustained, right? That's absolutely um, something that we have to, to make sure is there. Um, and so some, some ways that you can protect that um, is looking at um, some, there are multiple approaches, right? You could do a skunk works where the client says, I'm going to section off a little bit of my, my company and I'm going to have a team that's going to be focusing on this. Um, and, but that team is also um, maybe still partially on the ground. So they're in touch with the business or it could be something we call sandboxing. So you say that, you know, we want to roll out this, this proof of concept, but we're going to do it in a very controlled environment. Um, I don't know if you would roll something out uh, as a pilot in 20 countries at once. Uh, maybe you do it in one country, maybe two markets, um, but you're, you're protecting, you know, you're not allowing that the, the pilot to touch the real-time data, for example. Um, that's one. And sorry, your question was quite complex. Uh, I feel like I'm missing a part of that. No, no, you know, there were like 20 different ways of answering it. So I think you're on the right track. Um, maybe just one, one last part to, to, to uh, go on that. Can you give us a very concrete example, right? Okay. It's easy to talk about how it should be and concept and what to do, what not to do. Can you give us an example of really a match made in heaven? Mm. I would actually also love to hear the other side, but maybe that you're not uh, uh, allowed to do that. But can you maybe give us a real life example where it really worked out well or didn't, and it was nobody's fault. Mm -hmm. um, I think with regards to, to corporate innovation, let me answer that as an, like an A and B. So with corporate innovation, like we, 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 this year we worked with, I think our dream client, um, a, a local company in our region, and, and they're in the sustainability space. And they came to us and they said, we need to turn our very manual industry and we're in a manufacturing space and we want to turn, we want to digitize. We want all our stakeholders to, to be connected to us by an app. Uh, and maybe five years from now, we want to sell that data. You know, we're like, wow, that's beautiful. Um, and, and they're just so involved, you know, their, their CEO is on every workshop with us. Um, his entire team is with us. And he says, I practice radical transparency. Every single member of our team is on this journey, even though it may mean that they have to get new skills, maybe change the kind of roles um, that, that um, will disappear and then reappear as we digitize. And, and so we're also able to bring in, and this is part B, I think the startups from our ecosystem to help our client really understand um, where the digital venture can go and how it can go. And very often with corporates, there are multiple ways to, to innovate, right? It's very costly to invest so much money and so much time and hire everybody you need to build a digital venture. That's also not what they're experts in. Um, in a corporate, you're, generally most people are, are optimized to ensure that the same processes are 
carried out efficiently and in the same way. Um, and that just doesn't work as well with, with agile, for example, if you're testing something, breaking it and like trying to learn from that really quickly. Um, I would say a really good bet is to work with a startup. And um, so either you, you buy a startup, you acquire them and integrate them into your company. And, and very often we see that's a great way to kill the startup just because the cultures are so different. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it is possible. Um, Capgemini actually has acquired uh, a design lab called Idean and, and they've just, you know, been such a huge generator of innovation in our business in the day to day. And it's totally possible, I'm not saying it isn't. Um, or, you know, there's this so-called idea of white labeling or licensing. You can say to a startup, we'll do a pilot with you. We really like it and it works. We're going we're gonna to start paying you and we're going to start turning your application as part of our business and offering it as our startup or as our digital venture. And, and I think this was the approach that we brought these startups to our clients and said, hey, you know, you can learn from them. You can understand what they're doing in the market because they've already built something very similar to what you want to build. Um, you may want to, to work with them and partner up with them and say, I'm going to pay you the, you know, the royalties or, or you know, pay per transaction for your platform. And, and so unfortunately, I can't give you the answer that that worked beautifully. It remains to be seen. We're still exploring. Um, but we did have a very fruitful discussion in the startup. So very excited to be able to show their product to a potential customer or even a, you know, a company that might want to buy them in the future. I mean, it's, you know, it's uh, from uh, me coming from a marketing point of view, it's, it's a lot of it's access and, and logos, right? At the beginning you want, Hey, I work with Capgemini. I work with Google. I, you know, just those kind of, uh, these other guys have done due diligence. I'm real kind of thing. Absolutely. So just that elevates your, your, your maturity level, right? Absolutely. And you see that I think one layer back from the VC world as well. Startups these days that get attention are the ones that have done, that have the accelerators and the investors from, from brand name VCs or, hey, you know, I've won, I've won a prize in this um, startup challenge. And if it's by the government or, you know, if you know brand names really help. So it's, it's kind of sad, I think, that there is this, um, what do you call it? Uh, a CV game going on for startups. But at the same time, I think the market, as, as we try to work more and more quickly and more cohesively, um, those filters definitely help. Okay, cool. Um, you know, I saw what, what's interesting. I see uh, Janice nodding, Chris uh, shaking his head uh, the whole time, but we're not talking to each other. So maybe let's move it to the next level. Um, to to uh, rapid fire. Rapid fire, exactly. Um, rapid fire is, um, I'll, I'll throw a question at, at, at both of you ladies and you give me, you have to make a decision. It's an either or it's a, you know, question maybe with one sentence to why you made the choice. And then we go into the Q and A. So, um, accelerator programs, more CSR or real industry need. Okay. I'll go. Um, it depends, you know, there are folks in no, 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 no. That's the consultant answer. You know, there are companies that are really innovating and then there are those doing innovation theater. So there are accelerators who are, you know, for us, real industry needs. We identify the problem, we're solving for it. Excellent. Okay. Keziah? I would say uh, industry needs. Um, I, I mean, our CEO is a, a mentor at Antler and um, I think they're doing great work. You know, um, the, the kind of startups that they're able to identify and turn out so quickly. Okay, thank you. And, and thanks also, Janice, to admitting, you know, sometimes it's like just a, a labeling exercise. Yeah, it is, happens. Um, 
corporate startup collaboration. It's more needed by startups or by corporates. Overall, I don't want to, it depends answer. Kaziah. Hmm. I mean, you can't, you can't pick one. You, yeah, can, I, you have to say both. I, I can't. They need each other. They're hand in hand, you know. But depending on the startup, maybe some of them are better disrupting the industry on their own. But I think in our region, leveraging with um, big corporations help you go a little bit bigger, uh, faster, and also have a wider reach. I mean, I worked with a lot of the corporates previously before Google on you know scaling up the startups operations because they are using such interesting, innovative technologies. So I've seen how they wouldn't have been able to do it on their own, but through the startup, um, through the corporate kind of like, you know, putting money into it and promising them that if you set up an office there, I'll do business with you. They've been scaling as well. So I think, yeah, it's hand in hand. Okay, last but not least, it's interesting because by default, you're also at different stages where you work with startups. So the whole idea of that we discussed today about it needs a village. Yeah. Who needs the village more? A startup at Angel Seed, A Series or beyond? Hmm. Oh. Oh, I know it's rapid fire, but it's <laughs> like that's like, that's like a, a, a kind of slow cooking that we're doing right now. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I think the earlier you are as a startup, probably the bigger the village you need, and at the later stage, because your VC is gonna have that network to connect you to someone, you can just go like, "Hey, Chris, I need um, funding or I need advisory on this and this." Like, you know, set. Who should I talk to? You don't need a big village anymore. You need the village chief master just connecting. Yeah, but a smaller, when you're early stage, I think you really need a village. Yeah. Hmm. Does that agree or? Agree with Janice, but also disagree. I think when, when you're scaling and as a startup, you have your business model that's invalidated in a market and, and you want to go B2B or, or, I mean, honestly, B2B is the way to scale. And if you are a B2B startup, um, you definitely need that. And, and it's a numbers game, I would say, when you're trying to get pilots and you're trying to yes. successfully complete pilots, uh, you need the right partners to get you in at the right place at the right time. Um, and that may not just be one corporate like us, for example. And maybe that isn't a village, you know, that when you're at a later stage, you go into a club. You, you, you can't <laughs> hang out in the village anymore. You need to go into that special access, the members club area, where the innovation leads and the money is hanging out. So. <laughs> okay. I, I, think, I think at every level, the village evolves. The innovation network that Cap Gemini has, you know, not be going out to conferences. <laughs> I mean, that helps, right? I know lots of people who don't go to conferences anymore. Lots of business leaders who just say it's a waste of time. I'm just going to do um, closed door roundtables, for example. Yeah. Or I just call Kaziah and Janice and I'm sorted. Or I go to Village Chief Chris. I, I think that's my, my, my new favorite label for you. Chris, you, you want to go over to the pitch? Chief? Yeah, and today's pitch is slightly different. We have uh, <laughs> from Kaziah a specific question and when we look at the different type of startups, we have ones that address different markets clearly. What we're seeing more of is startups addressing more of the enterprise market and more around deeper tech solutions. So critical to that, of course, is cracking the enterprise sales cycle, which is a big part of your career and around that alchemy and chemistry around need, champions, timing. So. A unique question that we haven't asked before is 
Can you give us some real tips on how can that startup get that pilot going? How should that startup pitch to the end corporate? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, actually, it's funny because in this workshop that we run for the startups, we have kind of a map of that process. Um, and it's, it's some of the things I've already mentioned. I think it's really finding the right partner who can get you in, in the door at the right place, right time, identify the right people to talk to. But once you're already in conversation, I would say it's a little bit of a sixth sense, but I understand if this is the right person who has the right mindset for innovation. Um, and, and ask around to understand, you know, how big is his, his or her team? Um, what are their KPIs? What are they trying to achieve? How much money are they willing to put down? Um, how soon do they want to do this? Um, and and how, how good with the specifics and details they are, right? That's one. Second, then they have to understand how their, their solution, their technology solves for the business problem. If there's a very obvious fit, if it's tenuous, I would, I would not put all my eggs into one basket. Right. And I think this is more difficult for startups that are earlier in the stage and still trying to figure out how to how to focus on what markets or what applications they're looking at. I'm looking at the AI startups as well um, quite often. And, and, and then there is obviously then you start negotiating and you start saying that, OK, well, I'll do this. And I think um, getting to understand some of the corporate lingo, how you measure success, so important to identify, define and, and you know, put that in a contract and say, these are the things that we're going to deliver on. You know, we're going to hit this level of, of satisfaction, this amount of like, um, um, API calls we're going to make and, and the amount of efficiencies we're going to create, like agree on that um, so that you can prove that you've, you've done the good work and that your technology works, for example. And I think it takes a little bit of engineering to, to really set yourself up for success. And then obviously there's looking at IP and, and the lawyer stuff and, and make sure that you're not signing away your IP rights um, for doing a, a proof of concept, for example and not letting it drag beyond three months because I think we, we saw a, a POC, um, a case study that dragged on for a year and that was just a disaster, right? And like no startup has time for that. Like something like that can kill you and you don't want to engage something like that. So we got really lucky today because I has just given us the seven gems of proof of concept and it's understand the people, speak their language, know what success looks like, make sure you're really solving their problem, make it short, get lawyers to protect yourself and be consistent with timing. Thank you. Denise, in terms of the pitch, when people look at being involved in Google Accelerator, um, what are the best chances of making sure that they get into such a wonderful program? Uh, I'm not at liberty, of course, to disclose how many applications that you uh, had versus how many people that you picked, but it's a very low single digit percentage. <laughs> so how do we make sure in terms of the founders that if they do really do want to become, you know, uh, 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 adopted by a village and then of course, eventually by the right club, um, how do they ensure their success what appealed to you guys when you were selecting obviously apart from identifying needs in the market the startups that you would put through the program hey um well i guess for startups who are looking to apply i can give you the numbers so we had over 600 applications and we picked the top 15 so it's about a two percent um, rate of um, success applying in and um, globally some of the numbers can actually get even lower and i guess for all of our accelerators that we run at google we look at um, what that particular market or region need so as a startup when you're applying for something and i'm saying this not just 
for Google Accelerators, but really for anything. These applications, competitions, pitches, and all takes time and effort. Don't blindly apply to everything. Don't blindly meet every VC, for example. Um, you know, accelerators know what we are looking for. Um, if it's, for example, as you would go to a VC, you look at the innovation thesis, who their portfolio startups are, similarly to an accelerator, you know, look at what they're trying to solve for, what are the criteria that they have, um, who are their past alumni, and um, do your homework, know whether, you know, um, know what you're going to get or not going to get from the accelerator like is this a, is this an accelerator that is going to take equity give you funding or is this a connect you to the network help you build better better product kind of accelerator for example and then um and another thing you know is again the same way you look at vcs do you want money and advice or do you want money and they leave you alone you know when you look at the accelerator program it's the same like what are the offerings that they have and um yeah really then select the right accelerators you go to. And for Google Accelerator, you know, we, we're very passionate about startup founders who are, um, you know, we, we care a lot about diversity, about leadership teams, um, about building a better world. So when you're a startup, if you are building a business, a company, a culture that is similar, then yeah, apply and join us. And we are, we interviewed, you know, actually over 10% of them we met in person, virtually, to have a conversation, to know that we're onboarding the right founders, the right people. Because, you know, as much as you have a really amazing startup and technology, what we really care about as well is who are the people running it? What do they believe in? And do they want to build a better product for a better world? Cool. Thank you. Let's move over to the questions that are piling up here. And we're already running out of time, as predicted. So um, um, Sumit Nurpuri, he's asking, what are some lessons and tips in successfully integrating startups with traditional organizations to develop joint service offerings? Um, I think, Keziah, you touched on it, but maybe if you can just, you know, tighten it in, in, in one, two sentences. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a really good question. Thank you, Sumit, 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 organization. FYI. Um, so definitely, I mean, there are very different ways to do it. And, and every for every organization is different depending on how you're set up. But I would say definitely focus on a culture, focus on who has what KPIs, right? Because if you what gets measured gets done. Um, and so you want to ensure motivation, right? You want to ensure that people are taking are, are motivated to, to make the right choices. And even if they personally want to, but their KPIs are preventing them from doing that or making them focus on something else. Um, that's really tough. Um, so culture, I think, I think there's, we, we have a product called accelerated solutions environment. Um, I would definitely use that to, to get all the stakeholders in one room from the startup, from the traditional corporation and understand each other and, and achieve and create a roadmap together for them to, to move forward. You, you need kind of that, that buy-in from, from both sides to work together. Because when I was working back at level three, we worked with a lot of different corporates and then we then are able to see which other corporates who I guess do it better than others. And one of the ways that, um, that really make a difference is when there's a very senior stakeholder buy-in like the ceo you know the head of the region and 
what I thought Unilever did amazingly well is they worked very early on um, in creating an environment for these pilot projects to succeed. So that's like a fast track lane. We work with legal, we, we work with procurement to have this um, like a fast track lane so that these pilots don't get killed before they even start because very often onboarding and doing these pilots is the hardest part. And I remember sitting in a room the, with the legal team asking like, why is it that you want exclusivity with this startup doing a pilot with you? Because it's going to kill them if they were to do the pilot and go into exclusivity from you know 12 15 other fmcg company not possible we have to remove that clause and some of these environment that you create really help the corporates i mean then the corporates are able to do this pilot and help the startups not die from this one pilot with you yeah and you know i having having looked at you know 70 page master service agreements my, myself it's like Either, either you spend a lot of energy on that or you just sign it blindly and you're not sure what you're actually giving away, right? Um, uh, next question, it's a bigger question for um, how would the, the just uh, signed RCEP agreement, the Regional Economic uh, Collaboration or Cooperation Agreement, impact the startup ecosystem in Southeast Asia? Uh, what does it mean for our, our local entrepreneurs? Big question. And I know it takes up to two years to be ratified by the parliaments and so on and so forth, but I think it's a more a, a statement in a certain direction. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, <laughs> good. I mean, it definitely looks like we're, we're, we're looking at, you know, more, more collaboration, more trade agreements. And you can see that I'm like, had to read off on it to, to really look at, I don't think we have time to go into the fine print of, yeah. of what this deal is. Yeah, yeah, of I would say in, in general that, that more collaboration uh, within ASEAN makes sense. You know, we, we, we see more and more demand in our ecosystem, even from the Singapore AIE for, for startups to, to, to work with our clients in Malaysia and the Philippines um, and Hong Kong. Um, so definitely, I think borders remain thin, even though we're living in a COVID world, but thanks to virtual, um, I would say more and more collaboration, more opportunities to enter the markets in the region. Okay, good. Um, maybe one, one uh, there, are, there are a couple of big questions and some of them we, we touched or, uh, already on. Daryl, sorry that I don't take all your questions, but you just had already a lot of them we, we touched on, right? So he, he asked, um, what's a typical journey for startup corporate uh, proof of concept journey from start to finish. And I think we, we touched on that already quite, quite at length. Um, the other question was, um, what are the typical considerations from the corporate perspective on whether to pursue corporate innovation in-house or to go external and work with a startup instead? Maybe, maybe a quick, quick uh, take on that, uh, Kaziah. Yeah. Um, it's build, partner, or buy, right? And yeah. I think you're looking at how much time you have to do it. You know, how much investment do you have? How much uh, sponsorship do you have from the leadership? What are your KPIs looking like? You know, usually in a corporate, you, you just want to make sure you can succeed and it's an enormous task. So it's um, also a, a culture, a cultural thing. If I feel my organization is ready to do it and we're all invested, um, maybe you want to build something, right? But if it's really difficult and we're saying we don't have time and we just want to do a few POCs and see what sticks, maybe that's partnering with a startup. Mm. Yeah. I think a quick way to think about it is, is it going to be cheaper, better, and faster than building it yourself? 
because um, very often some you know corporates think that you know what they're using our data or they're doing something very similar we're bigger we have more money we're going to build it ourselves and then you know it takes you one year to do the pilot another two or three years to outsource it to a project management company to take it to full production stage and then by then the startup has already completely you know taken over that market so yeah like because i have mentioned you know think about whether it's better to partner or to buy them and Okay, um, maybe one last question. Um, with especially COVID-19 has such, uh, has been so far such a transformative kind of experience and, and had massive impact. So um, how has this year and the enforced kind of economic rethinking um, had um, changed the importance of building different or stronger fundamentals or company design for startups? So, so, you know, if you look at startups now, after having gone through this kind of tumultuous year, do you expect different things or do you give different advice or you think uh, this is more important than I thought before we went through this uh, 2020? This is best answered by Janice, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, it's a, it's a, this, is, this is a big question. Um, <laughs> I think a startup that will last through this period, you know, will probably um, be a lot more resilient um, than, than a lot of other startups. Actually, during our accelerator program, that was something we addressed. Um, this is a very big question. Uh, I'm going to break it down just a little bit. Like, what um, we actually approached then is that what are the challenges that startup face? You know, do you is it around cost? Is it around you know getting um, um, more money? Is it around you know stream um, getting new income streams? Um, um, during this period just to ride it out or you know um, you know how to manage the team downsize or do you just you know put them into different project or take this opportunity to grow so there are a lot of um, because of this experience in this past year there's a lot of um, best practices and strategies that you can take so I guess in terms of how important do we think, you know, the fun, strong fundamental of the company design, we think that if you've already survived through this COVID pandemic period, a lot of the adaptation and pivots that you already made is going to be very lasting, at least for, I, I think, at least for a couple of years. And this will probably be strategies they can take on to um, touch wood, another situation or um, that might happen again. But yeah, there are definitely best practices and fundamentals that um, can be adapted for future um, downturns and, and if i can quickly jump in I, i'm there may be something there i think with regards to the whole remote working aspect something we've seen even in our company during COVID is we now have more access to experts around the world because everybody is willing to go virtual right so what does it mean for a startup that's building a team of experts for example um perhaps you know it's, there's something to say about virtual uh remote culture uh, are we able to work more asynchronously and build a company that way I would be really curious to see what emerges in that area. I think no company can also go just from a concept. Oh no, remote teams don't work. Yeah, so how did you survive the last eight months? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I wanted to end our series this year uh, on a uh, topic that was, you know, close to heart to so many of us. And simply thank you so much, Janice and Keziah to join us. I know it's a busy time. Uh, for you both so you know very much thank you for making the time and being a part of southeast asia connect and what we're doing in terms of continuing the conversation with the community thank you for having us yeah it's a lot of fun. yeah and, and, and a lot of other people
<laughs> Janine, about... the, the earlier you are, the bigger the village you need. And Kaziah, it's like alchemy. You're looking for the right person, chemistry, uh, KPIs, matching of place and time. So you can find us on southeastasiaconnect.com. You can also find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. This is our last episode for this year. And it's really all been about the people. Special thanks to all our guests, but most of all, our audience. And we feel very much privileged to be able to provide that connection point. We are taking a small break, but we'll be back in 2021 with a vengeance. So please send us your feedback and ideas for what you want to see. Lars and I are committed to continuing the conversation. I'm Chris Tran, signing off. And Lars? Thank you very much, Chris, or, or Village Chief Chris also. Thank you so much, Janice, Kazaya, everybody. Have a fantastic uh, six more weeks uh, for 2020. Make the best out of it. Bye-bye. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Enjoy, everybody. Bye-bye.